Mask Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. Welcome back to the Lawfather Podcast. For another week here, we are still in Lawfather headquarters. Just take a moment to ask you to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Facebook, it is The Lawfather. Instagram, it is The Lawfather Tampa. So if you can go to those things, take a look at what we're doing, and uh, follow us on social media and and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, As I've mentioned previously, for all you personal injury lawyers out there, go ahead and take a look at Bravo Delta Legal Services. Uh, They get all of our medical records for us uh, and do a a great job. So go ahead and give them a call and uh, look them up on the web, bravodeltalegal.com. So Let's get into the meat and potatoes here of this podcast as we are still in the middle of this coronavirus time. And where are we on the legal aspect of this? Let's take a look at some things because there are several lawsuits now that have been filed and it is almost seemingly among every industry, every type of business, every walk of life. So really kind of an interesting time. Uh, As a personal injury lawyer, we're not necessarily seeing an uptick in litigation that's uh, coronavirus related, mostly because uh, everything's still shut down. So from a negligence standpoint, I don't necessarily see that times are ripe for any kind of coronavirus negligence lawsuits, which is what we would be seeing uh, on the personal injury side of things. Um, once things start opening up again, I could see that being a real possibility because people are going to question, did things get opened up too soon? Uh, were the right precautions taken? Should people be wearing masks? Should uh, increased cleanings be done? Just a myriad of different problems and topics and, and things to think about. And there's not necessarily any roadmap for personal injury attorneys to figure out which way to go on these things and if these cases could potentially be viable in the future. But that's another topic for a future podcast as there are no known, known litigation in regards to a negligence claim that I know of right now and and that I could find anywhere. But let's look at a couple of them. Uh, We have Norwegian cruise lines. Uh, There's a class action lawsuit against them. Now I'm sure that, There may either be some uh, in the works or actually already filed that will be passengers from cruise lines that will be filing. But what I'm seeing here is that the stockholders with for Norwegian cruise lines have a class action because basically Norwegian said that the outlook from a financial standpoint was still positive Uh, and that uh, from a securities and exchange point of view could be problematic. So definitely going to be interesting to see where that falls in line and what happens there. Uh, Another one is New York sports clubs. Uh, They are in the midst of litigation as well and not 100% sure what that has to do with. A little bit involved with defrauding of members during gym shutdowns. Uh, So maybe along the lines of uh, members not not getting the service, but being forced to pay. Uh, and I think that's a topic that that really could get into multiple different areas and multiple different subscription-based businesses. Fox News uh, has been sued as well. 
uh, due to representations that the coronavirus is a hoax. Uh, possibly an interesting lawsuit. Um, not really sure if it holds a lot of water. Um, you know, I, I think at least in the beginning of this thing, there are a lot of question marks. And as a news agency, First Amendment right, and I think even possibly a duty to try to uncover the news and try to uncover uh, the truth to things. So if they allege that it's a hoax, I think it's different coming from a news place than, than say, somebody else in authority, because I, I think our news places really should be able to stand behind that First Amendment and be able to touch the hard topics and put out the hard opinions. Uh, in Illinois, there's a lawmaker who is suing the governor uh, for the stay-at-home orders. Uh, this lawmaker is in a rural county that has had little effect from the coronavirus, but they've seen a massive economic effect from the coronavirus, and I think that's that's a big thing. Uh, and you know, you hear it in other walks of life in term, in medicine, uh, and I believe the president has said it as well, is the cure worse than the virus. And I think in some of these rural areas, that may be what a little bit of the concern is, is, is the cure, uh, is the cure something that is worse than the actual virus itself? Um, who knows? Uh, time will tell on that. Uh, I think as we reopen things, uh, I think that'll show us a little bit of that. But, you know, these rural areas, I, I could see that being different. Uh, New York is the most densely populated area in the country, and they were hit hard. Uh, people expected Florida to be hit just as hard, but Florida is not as densely populated. Florida is a huge state, and we have pockets of density, but there's also large pockets of rural areas as well. And I think that may play into that. So that's a uh, that's that one. Uh, I've seen some litigation on some law enforcement agencies and uh, possibly some individual officers for enforcing stay at home orders. Uh, you know, I don't envy some of these uh, law enforcement officers. I think they may be being put in a precarious position. And I mean, the, you know, boots on the ground patrol officers who are tasked with basically being stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I'm not going to pretend to speak for any one individual incident, but as an officer, you answer to a supervisor and that supervisor tells you to do something. You do it because that's what you're being told to do. And, you know, sometimes you don't agree with it and sometimes you have to do it. And I know recently there was a story about a father being handcuffed and arrested and then uh, later released uh, in front of, I believe it was his four-year-old daughter and who were, they were out at a park and they were far away from everybody. And there's some, I think, confusion about these stay at home orders and what they mean. Uh, you know, the, the individual had said that they thought they were following what the social distancing requirements were. Law enforcement said, no, it was actually that, that area was off limits. So seeing some lawsuits come around because of the restriction of freedom of movement. Uh, you know, the governments do have the ability and the authority from the federal government, from federal state statute that allows local governments to restrict movements in times of pandemics. 
So there is federal backing for these things. Um, hopefully we get out of these things soon and there's not too much along the lines of craziness as we're talking about um, different lawsuits and uh, things of, of that nature. Um, you know, I, I would say it's one of those things that common sense really comes into play. If you can satisfy it by, if you can satisfy a stay at home order violation or a social distancing violation by giving somebody a citation and attaching a financial penalty to it. In my opinion, that's a whole heck of a lot better than putting somebody in handcuffs because, you know, you're putting your agency and yourself at risk for a lawsuit the moment you take somebody's freedoms away. And if it's deemed that you did it grossly improperly, you're going to be in kind of a world of hurt. And it could be a little bit of a stressful time working through some litigation on that. You know, you give somebody a citation. Yeah. You know what? It's an inconvenience. And should they fight it in court? If it's not proper? Yes. But we're not taking someone's freedoms away. And I think that's the biggest piece here that we see on the law enforcement side is just using the common sense to not take someone's freedoms away uh, unless, you know, obviously if you're following an order from a supervisor, yeah, you may have to. Um, but that's that's where things are um, locally in Tampa. You may have heard Tom Brady got kicked out of, I believe it was Cypress Point Park. It's a little kind of secluded beach area in Tampa. And he was apparently doing a little workout and TPD Tampa Police Department came through and politely asked him to leave, which uh, I believe there was no kind of issues there. But that's kind of the state of things. And, you know, our freedoms and our liberties are a little bit in flux right now. And it'd be interesting to see if this thing lasts much longer, how much fight there is on that. Because initially, you can justify it with the pandemic and what we saw in other countries, uh, Italy mainly, where there was a lot of deaths and a lot of issues and a lot of people with the virus. Now you're seeing reports of far less numbers and some of the, the big numbers didn't really come to fruition. So is it legitimate to restrict movement as we get into the month of May and as we get into June? Definitely something to look out for. Definitely a, a curious thing. And I'll be keeping an eye on that as we work through these podcasts. This episode of the Law Father podcast is presented by Golden Pair Funding. If you have been hurt in an accident or any type of personal injury case and are in need of funds to pay your bills, Golden Pair Funding can help. In as little as a few hours, they can contact your attorney, evaluate your case, and provide you with the funds that you need when you need it. The process is fast, approval is easy, and funds can be delivered same day. And if you lose your case, you owe us nothing. So, if you are in need of pre-settlement funding, do not hesitate. Call Golden Pair Funding at 813-856-2099 in order to receive the funds you need today. And I can tell you that you know, at, at the firm, uh, we use Golden Pair Funding, and a lot of our clients have used them, and they've had very positive experiences with them. So I would say if you have been in a personal injury case, go ahead and give Golden Pair Funding a call. They are a top-notch service and do what they can do to help all the clients out. Once again, Law Father reminds you to call Golden Pair Funding for your pre-settlement funding needs at 813-856-2099. Now, 
that is the coronavirus in a nutshell. Um, I think everybody's probably wearing a little thin of the coronavirus talk at, at this time. So let's change gears just a little bit. Baseball continues to look at options uh, to play. So that's definitely a very positive thing. So hopefully we'll see baseball come into, into the picture here very shortly. NFL still planning on having a season. Actually, a little bit of an interesting piece. If the college season, college football season, that is, is canceled, the NFL is having discussions to play those games on Saturday. So we could see a scenario where we have Saturday and Sunday NFL football. That could be kind of fun. I definitely can't see every game on Sunday. The biggest day of games is Sunday at 1. Uh, so, you know, definitely can't always see every game, but, you know, they could get more TV viewership. And if they're playing games without fans, it could actually help increase their numbers and help offset the losses that they may take on the ticket sales side. Now, one of the pieces that comes into play when we're talking about ticket sales and, and we're talking about all sports, but football mainly is ticket sales account for really a very minute portion of a team's revenue. So for the NFL, whether or not they have fans, it's not really going to be, I, I don't believe, a huge make or break thing for them financially just because ticket sales, and this is an old outdated number, but you know, at one time it was right around 2%. Now that doesn't take into account concessions and beer and merchandise and those type of things. But from a purely ticket sale basis, not a not a big needle mover TV. Yeah, absolutely. So getting more games broadcast that people can see, uh, increase the advertising rate, possibly the higher the viewership, the higher the advertising rate. So a lot of things to keep in mind as we look forward to football season. Uh, one of the unfortunate things as we have concluded the NFL draft is there is a difference in the NFL offseason. So normally right now, the uh, the rookies who were drafted would be getting ready for rookie minicamp. That's not happening this year. Uh, and what comes along with rookie minicamp, because as it's stated, rookie in the rookie minicamp, it's a three-day workout of all rookies. Well, here's the reality. Teams don't take enough guys to field in a full offense and a full defense. So what do these teams do in order to do that? They bring on... Uh, rookie mini camp invites, right? So you have this huge pool of players coming out of college, and you know there's probably one to two percent of all college football players get signed to an NFL contract. So we're talking very small percentage of numbers. We're still talking the cream of the crop when we're talking guys who have rookie mini camp invites. They may not be that top one or two percent, but they're the top three or 4% of all college football players. So that said, no rookie mini camps this year, no rookie mini camp invites. A lot of guys who would ordinarily have had opportunities in the NFL are not getting those opportunities in the NFL uh, this year. And then from the other side of things, the undrafted free agents, what is an undrafted free agent? NFL draft is seven rounds after those seven rounds they move into essentially an undrafted free agent phase. That is all the college guys who are eligible for the draft, they can be signed by a team. 
and they're not actually part of the draft, so they're not considered a draft pick, but they're what's called undrafted free agents. So that's what they are. Teams this year, from talking to several teams on it, and, and a couple of our guys would have fallen in this undrafted free agent category, took a lot less undrafted free agents than they normally do. And it's really an unfortunate thing. Uh, and I think part of that comes down to the unknown of the offseason. We don't know what kind of offseason we're going to have. My hope is when we get a little bit better picture, teams are going to sign a few more guys. So, you know, active ro- or rosters right now, not active, but uh, NFL rosters right now can be 90. We get down to, uh, and I had to double check the collective bargaining agreement, but it's 56 or 57. It changed for 2020. They added uh, a couple of spots. So we're going to go 90 to 56 or 57 between now and the beginning of the season. If we're not going to have a full training camp, teams don't need 90 guys. And teams don't need to spend, on average, 6000 in signing bonus money to sign an undrafted free agent if they don't have to. So, because that signing bonus money is guaranteed. So, teams are, are saving a little bit of money there. Eagles uh, is one example. They signed 20 guys, 20 undrafted free agents this year, which 20 is a lot. Okay. Last year, they signed 24. And a lot of teams were in the single digits this year and are normally in the double digits. So, big changes this year with the NFL offseason. And unfortunately, for a lot of these football players, and, I, and we're going to see that in baseball here, uh, that draft is next month. It's really a lost season for a lot of guys. And it's, I think, impacting the smaller school guys more than it is the bigger schools who play on a bigger platform and get seen a whole lot more. So that's where we are with the NFL draft and sports. And let's turn to some listener questions. And as always, I get these questions in and read them to you live and come up with the answer on the fly. So here we go. Number one, due to forced public school closings, my anxiety and mental health are deteriorating from the pressures of teaching my child at home. Can I sue the school? Well, my assumption is we're not talking about a college student here. Uh, As we talked about previously, there is a lawsuit, class action lawsuit going on right now for remote online learning for colleges. Uh, presumably this is either elementary, middle, or high school student. And I just don't see that as being a reality in terms of being a viable case. Uh, there's no contract necessarily between the parent and the school. So it's it differs from the college version, which was a breach of contract case. Uh, I think actually more to the point you're required to be in school up to a certain age. I believe in Florida, it's 16. So, you know, is it unfortunate that those issues are going on? Yes. Is it something that is litigatable? Uh, you know, anybody can make anything litigatable. It's, it's whether or not it's going to be successful. And when we talk about litigatable, it really just means, can you file a lawsuit for something? The answer pretty much across the board is you can try it. Doesn't mean it's going to be successful. Doesn't mean it won't get hit with a, a frivolous pleading motion and potentially have some financial ramifications. But yeah, I mean you can pretty much file file a lawsuit for anything. But 
This one here, I, I don't see it as being viable. Uh, you wouldn't actually in Florida be suing the school itself. It would be the county. Uh, so Hillsborough County Public Schools, Pinellas County Public Schools, they run all of the schools. Uh, it would actually most likely be the school board of the particular county. But that said, I don't see a path here. I don't see a legal path to deal with the anxiety and mental health issues that come from teaching your child at home. All right. Question number two. I was in my friend's boat and he was arrested for BUI. I see people drinking on boats all the time. Why was my friend arrested? That is very good and very interesting question. All right. We'll start with the easy explanation is that the laws in Florida for boating under the influence, also known as BUI, uh, slightly different from DUI, which is driving under the influence, is it's the same legal limit, 0.08. If you are 0.08, and, and 0.08 refers to the breath alcohol concentration or content, okay, you can be convicted of boating under the influence. You can be arrested for it, and you can be convicted of it. Now, in Florida, we call it under the influence, whether it's boating or driving, and it encompasses not just alcohol, but it also covers drugs too. So uh, if you're out there and and you just popped a couple of hydrocodone and are kind of loopy, you can get charged with the same charge as if you had gone out and, and downed a handle of vodka. So that's, that's what that is. Um, kind of, there are some interesting nuances when we're talking about boating under the influence, and we're going to make it into a little bit more detail than, um, than what this question asked, but you can drink on a boat. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, it different from a car. You, if you're a passenger in a car, you're not allowed to drink in the car. It's not allowed. Now, pretty clear to know who's driving a car. Although from my law enforcement days, I can tell you people will try to switch. Uh, they think they're slick trying to go from passenger seat to driver's seat. However, I mean, you can see it as you're sitting there in the car behind them and you're looking through their windows, even when they're dark tinted, uh, with the lights that we had in law enforcement, you could see you. And if you couldn't fully see in the car, you could see the car rocking back and forth a little bit. So you kind of knew what was going on, but in a boat, it's a little different. You're not strapped into a seat. There's a little bit more freedom of movement. So law enforcement stops you. Who's driving the boat? Sometimes it's tougher to tell. And in Florida, if you're stopped and there's a question of who's driving the boat, it ultimately falls on the operator. So if the operator or excuse me, the owner of the boat is the one who's ultimately at fault. So if the owner of the boat is intoxicated and law enforcement can't figure out who was actually driving, guess what? It's the owner who gets hit with boating under the influence. Now, could be unfortunate if you're not if you're the owner and you're not actually operating the boat and you let somebody else operate it who you thought was not under the influence, but turns out to be ultimately it's your responsibility, your boat, your responsibility. That's one of the nuanced differences. Another nuanced difference with boating under the influence versus driving under the influence. If you're in a car, there has to be a reason to stop you. And that's what initiates the chain of events for a driving under the influence on a boating under the influence 
boating in general, you can be stopped at any time for any reason. Coast Guard can do safety checks. Florida Fish and Wildlife can do safety checks. The city police department or your municipal police department can and the county can. So on a boat, you can be stopped at any time for any reason. There's there's really nothing prohibiting any law enforcement agency from doing that. And once you're stopped, if they suspect that you're under the influence, there we go straight down the line to field sobriety exercises, breath alcohol tests, and a potential arrest for boating under the influence. So that is why your friend was potentially arrested for boating under the influence, that he was suspected to be above 0.08 and was either driving the boat or was the owner of the boat and the true driver of the boat was unknown at the time. So hope that answers those questions. Keep those questions coming in. Uh, We'll have case or no case on the next podcast. I know we're going to have case or no case on this one. Uh, We had to shuffle some guests around uh, due to some work obligations. So I like to do case or no case with uh, guests on board. So we got that lined up for next week. We have uh, kind of a big wig at the University of Tampa joining us. So we'll have some fun with him. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Like I said, that that really helps us out a lot. So if you go on, just click the five-star button. I really love it if you do that. Uh, We may actually, maybe we'll start a little giveaway here. Uh, We have some Lawfather shirts and hats coming soon. So maybe we'll start giving away some shirts and hats for uh, reviewing and and rating the podcast. But we'll address that at at a future date. Hope you all enjoy your week. Talk to you again next week. And that is the Lawfather podcast for today. Lawfather out. This is a cannabis podcast. Quick fix on radio influence. Now, CBD right now can be as important as, as it's ever been. And we could say put THC in there as well. But talk to me how CBD could help somebody through these trying times right now because stress and anxiety is part of everybody's lives right now. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people are trying to find new ways to cope with what they're going through, whether you're stuck at home with family or you're out of work right now, you have little ones at home, you're trying to balance teaching them homeschool at this point and also keeping your sanity as an adult. And, um, you know, CBD has just become an alternative for people that even if they haven't experienced anxiety and stress before on this level, It's something that's now helping them. So we have a lot of people that have been reaching out and asking us um, how they can incorporate it in their day. When's the best time for them to take it, how it affects them and um, how it's going to interact with other things that they might be taking. Okay, and, you know, everybody has different ways to relax. And, you know, for for me, CBD is the most natural way to do it. You know, I wake up in the morning and I take my CBD oil and I just I just feel better physically, mentally when I do that. The Cannabis Podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.